I'm Greg Johnson. Welcome to Countercurrents Radio. This is the eve before New Year's Eve, and it's a Saturday, so we're streaming. And we are just going to have a relaxed AMA. Ask us anything. I have a number of guests who will be joining us today. And the first of them is David Zuddy. David, welcome. It's great to be here. Yeah, David is the executive director of the Homeland Institute. He's written quite a lot at Countercurrents. Basically, what I would like to do today is we're going to talk about the year that's coming to a close and our expectations for the next year. If you have any questions or comments about those sorts of topics or just any other topic you want us to talk about, please go to Entropy or you can share them in the chats at Odyssey and also DLive. You can also send us Odyssey tokens. You can send us tips through Odyssey and you can send us DLive tokens. We very much appreciate those. And we have a question from S, uh, a donation of 10 US dollars and a question from S. What were the best books you read and the movies you watched in 2023? So let's begin there, David, if you'd like. Sure. I, so, yeah. Yeah. So for books, I read The American Regime, which is available from Antelope Hill Publishing. That's from a, by January 6th defendant. It goes into. A lot, most of the book is exploring elite theories of power, so it's not about it's not a personal sob story or an election still narrative. So it goes into really deep political theory because that's usually something that people disagree on, like who's in charge, how does power work. And it definitely it's very good because it does have a lot of Oswald Spengler in it, who I like, so I recommend that. I also am almost I'm about two thirds way through reading Eclipse of the Crescent Moon, which I think in Hungarian is called Stars Over Eager. Or Eger, and it's about the Hungarian-Turkish conflict. It's not all about the siege of Eger. It, it covers stuff before and after, like how the Turks kind of snuck into Hungary, and because they were busy dealing with, with Austrian drama. But it's really good because it is a, a nationalist story about a nation fighting foreign invasion and people not giving up. It, the whole siege of Eger was basically the Hungarian version of 300, and but they won. And it's kind of cool seeing a mix of warfare because they're using medieval weaponry, but they're really, really starting to use more firearms like rifle, like, well, they weren't rifles yet. They were like muskets and artillery and rockets. So that's really fun. Also, I read The Age of Entitlement by Christopher Caldwell, which is very important because it really destroys one of the main myths which our enemies use, which is the civil rights era. I actually read The Age of Entitlement because it was referenced in the American regime. And the whole thesis of that book is that the civil rights era destroyed the old constitution because it created new rights that kind of butted aside the old rights or fringed upon them and were given greater precedence. And nobody, nobody really consented to it at the time. Now, maybe the people making these case laws and passing these laws certainly did, but the common people didn't. But then it gets twisted over with case law expanding everywhere. The Warren Co Court goes insane. And that's where we're at. It really needs to be one of those myths that is completely destroyed for us to move forward. I also read East and West, which is available from Countercurrents. And it's one of Evola's journals, which is very good because it goes into the differences, like how really a traditionalist perspective on Eastern thought that isn't New Age or hippie or disparaging. And I'm also kind of... A, 
I started reading Battle for Budapest, which is about the encirclement of Budapest at the end of World War II. I had to put that down because I got sidetracked by other books, but which that's pretty common. I usually am reading two or three books at once because it's more entertaining that way. I don't get bored. Uh, for movies, I'm actually not much of a movie guy, but I did see the Barbie movie for the meme. And I have to agree, it actually ended up owning itself. It was essentially... I mean, Ken destroys a long house. That's what happens. That's my interpretation of the Barbie movie. And I also saw Lawrence of Arabia for the first time, which was a real treat. But that's about it on my end. Well, that's very detailed. Thank you very much. I am flipping through my lists. I keep lists of books that I read and movies that I watch, books and articles, substantial articles. And last year, I read 50 books, or let me put it this way. I didn't read 50 different books, but I read a book 50 times over. Uh, sometimes uh, I, I read a book a couple of times because I was working on editing it. So I read 50 books last year, and I'm trying to decide what is the best uh, of the ones that I read last year without being arrogant and naming The Trial of Socrates, which is the one that I really want to name my book, The Trial of Socrates. I'm very proud of that book. I put a lot of work into it. Another book that I read last year that I very much enjoyed is, I, I read some books by Mishima. I read a couple books by him that were sort of, I don't know, they looked like potboilers. They didn't look like they would be that interesting. Uh, they, they didn't involve murders or seppuku or anything like that. They were actually books that were studies of women, primarily. One was called After the Banquet, and the other was called Silk and Insight, which is about a labor dispute in post-war Japan. It doesn't sound like the Mishima that we usually think of. And they were both wonderful, and they really brought home what an incredibly versatile writer he is. I still haven't read everything that he's published in translation yet. I can't read Japanese. I've been reading him for more than 30 years. If I'd known that I was going to love Mishima so much, I would have learned Japanese by now so I could have read some of the stuff that uh, hasn't come out yet. But those books were, were quite quite good and, and new to me. I reread a bunch of stuff that I've read before and enjoyed. And I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the things that might be of interest to people. Oh, a, a couple of new books that I read this year were books by John McCormick. And the best, he's a professor at the University of Chicago. He's a mainstream academic. He's written a big book on, on Schmidt that I like. I read that years ago. And he has a book called Machiavellian Democracy and a, another book called Reading Machiavelli, which is just a collection of essays. And the Machiavellian Democracy book is a wonderful book. It's a, it's a very well-written, interesting, and relevant book of academic political philosophy talking about what a populist Machiavelli was and also offering recommendations for making Machiavellian reforms to American democracy to make it more populist. And that's music to my ears. So I was very, very excited by that book. So those are a few that I really, really enjoyed. Another book that I really got a lot out of was by an Egyptologist. I, I do read a lot of books on ancient Egypt. It's one of my oldest pleasures is, is ancient Egypt. 
And I read a couple of books on ancient Egypt this year that were really quite, quite good. And I'm trying to, trying to get the exact titles for you because, well, it's no good if I can't actually cite the title. One was called The Oldest Book in the World by a writer named Bill Manley. Uh, and it's just about ancient Egyptian moral precepts written down from the time of the Old Kingdom. And I, I thought it was a very interesting book uh, about philosophy, basically, about moral philosophy, if you will, Egyptian moral philosophy. So I thought that was a quite a good one. Another one that I, I highly recommend uh, is, is a book on Egyptian myth. And I'm just looking for the title here. It's called by Gary Shaw. G-A-R-R-Y, Shaw. It's called Egyptian Mythology. And it's really very interesting because what, what he does is it's, it's linked to places because Egypt was a very diverse place and its pantheon changed from location to location. So he talks about the gods of various cities. And the Horus in one city was not the same as the Horus in another city, for instance. Uh, and so it's it's actually quite interesting book. It's colorful. It can be treated as like a travel guide, but it's also a guide to Egyptian mythology. And it's extremely well written and interestingly illustrated. So those are a few of my favorite books from this this year. I didn't see a lot of new movies in 2023 because, well, there's just not a lot coming out that interests me. So let me talk about movies that, that, are, that came out in 2023. The best movie that I saw in the theater this year wasn't all that fantastic, but it's Killers of the Flower Moon by Martin Scorsese. I do think it's a pretty good movie. The biggest disappointment that I saw in the theaters was uh, Ridley Scott's Napoleon, which I just think reeks to the high heavens. It's a terrible movie. The, the movie that came out this year that I suspect I would like the best is one I haven't seen yet, and that's the new Miyazaki movie, The Boy and the Heron. Uh, but I, I, it just, I just haven't been able to see it yet, so I guess I'll have to see that next year. Other than that, I just watched a lot of old movies this year, and nothing super exciting comes to mind that I want to share with you, though. Again, I went back and rewatched some of my favorites. I guess the movie that inspired the best movie essay out of me was Once Upon a Time in the West, the Sergio Leone film. And the best new thing that I saw this year, not, not confined to movies, but to television as well, was the, uh, the big surprise of this year was actually the Andor Star Wars series on Disney+. Plus. I thought it was really one of the best science fiction series that I've ever seen. It's really quite imaginative and, and gripping and well done. So those are, those are some of my best and worst. So let's see if Cyan is back. Cyan, welcome. Let's give this a try. Yeah. Okay. It sounds good. So Cyan, um, did you hear the first question? Best movies and books of 2023. I did. I've been listening to you and uh, I heard David too. Those are good ones. Um, and your, when you were talking about the Egyptians, it reminded me of this review that you did about Moses. Isn't it called Moses the Egyptian? And I, I can't remember the name, but this was like a, uh, do you remember what I'm talking about? This was a, an essay series yeah, it's, that you wrote. Yeah. Yan Osman, Moses the Egyptian. 
That's right. Okay, that was something I didn't it just reminded me this is one of my favorite um countercurrent series and you know not to bring up i think we have a christmas truce going on right now in the countercurrents insider chat where we're not supposed to talk about religion or argue about it but <laughs> um so i'm not is very very interesting to me and in our religious history um around christianity in, in, well, in this case, Judaism, because Moses was a Jew. And during, you know, uh, when, when the Jews were in Egypt, a lot of the things that Moses was doing was, uh, it's basically, it was the exact opposite of the Egyptians. And, um, you know, this, so this is definitely something that I would, I would go back and read because it's been it's been so long but this is one of the essays that i found on countercurrents that i keep um that you can only find at this website and that's another reason why um yeah why i appreciate countercurrents over the other uh websites so anyway it just reminded me of that my headphones keep going in and out i don't know if you can uh if it's affecting my quality at all will you let me know if it's going in and out you sort of are cutting in and out occasionally, but it's much better than what you used to uh, used to have at when you first okay. tried to uh, sign in. <laughs> okay, okay, my internet, my connection looks good. It's wired, uh, so I think we should be good to go. Um, but uh, if if it gets bad later on, then we can change. But anyway, reminded me of that. What did I read this year? Um, I've been doing a lot of biographies. Uh, I would say probably the first one that comes to mind is A Life of Contrast by Diane Mosley. And uh, this was her autobiography that she wrote when she was 93. And she was the wife of Oswald Mosley, um, and who was one of the British fascists in World War II. Diana is she has a very, very wide social network, um, because of her, uh, her upbringing and her, through her first marriage, she got into the literary scene at the time. So she knows, uh, she knew Evelyn Waugh, uh, she knew all of these other artists and writers at the time. And so, What's neat about the biography is you you get kind of little mini biographies of all the other interesting people that were alive at the time. So she met she met all of these literary figures, and then she went on uh, to meet. Um, she was an interesting character because she had friends on both sides of World War II. So uh, she, for example, growing up was friends with uh, I believe it was Winston Churchill's nephew. Um, and so uh, Churchill had a fondness for her, even when she was in prison. And then uh, she, her sister Unity, uh, lived in Germany for a long time and met with, <laughs> she kind of stalked Hitler. <laughs> um, she would fit her, what his favorite restaurant was. And uh, she, her, for days, uh, waiting for him to come in in order and just kind of observe him. And then eventually, after she had been there enough times, uh, he finally invited her over to the table. And uh, it wasn't a romantic kind of um, 
<laughs> it was just, uh, she was just absolutely fascinated by this political figure. And so she struck up a friendship with him at the time. And then uh, she invited her sister, Diana, uh, to meet him. So she, so yeah, it, it was a really interesting biography. And uh, Sam Dixon is the one who recommended it to me. He interviewed her once uh, while she was still alive. And he said that she said, uh, you know, one of her, the most memorable quotes that he gave her was the mark of a true aristocrat is and there are no aristocrats left. He didn't say that in the sense of. You, you uh, totally cut out there. So we did not hear the substance of that quote. Can you repeat it? Yeah. So the quote was, the mark of a true aristocrat is to not care what other people think. And if that's the case, then there are no aristocrats left. That was not giving people liberty to do whatever they want. <laughs> but uh, what she meant instead was you, you, you need to decide for yourself what your core principles are, what your interests are, and um, just honestly speak your mind. Uh, and you can do that respectfully and engage in interesting political conversation. And, you know, <laughs> with the, today we, with the political persecution that's out there, especially in regards to free speech, because when you have a multicultural, multi-ethnic society, uh, if you are going to force people to live together, then you kind of have to have this tyranny over free speech. Otherwise, you'll just be offending each other all the time. And uh, you, you, we've really lost that as a society, that ability to just um, be ourselves and, uh, you know, and, and come up with your own conclusions and speak of those freely uh, and have enough of a backbone to do what you think is right without worrying about uh, what other people think of you. So uh, I thought that was that was good. There are several other quotes um, that I remember of it. Uh, a couple other biographies uh, that I've been into is um, the Paul Fussell's autobiography. He wrote Class. And uh, Greg, this was a recommendation from you on the website. Before anybody starts writing for Counterparents, you tell people to go and read Class by Paul Fussell. And <laughs> it's a scathing and satirical evaluation of the American class system. Uh, and it's really, it's really, really funny uh, and, and witty. And, that's, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. The chapter that you refer people to is speak so I may see thee and it's it, it basically teaches you to unlearn everything that you've that you thought you knew about how to write in academia or uh you know for uh for high class audiences because if you try to sound too high class then it makes you sound lower class or middle class middle class middle yeah. class <laughs> right right because they're always striving to be the upper class so they're pretentious they're not confident in who they are they keep trying to climb the class ladder so you end up with these this convoluted uh terrible essays and you can't figure out what they're trying to say one of my favorite twitter accounts i think it got banned uh unfortunately but so somebody 
it has to tell me if it's still out there or if it got renewed on X or, or maybe it's on Telegram, but it's a, it's real peer review and uh, it's quotes from these, these terrible academic journal articles uh, in philosophy or sociology. And they just go on and on and on and they aren't saying anything and you can't figure out what they're trying to say because they're, you know, surrounding their points with these big words, trying to sound and smart, but in reality, are only read by other academics or other people writing articles hoping that someone else will read it. Um, whereas, you know, you have a publication like Countercurrents, you're trying to put the, the purpose of a think tank is to come up with good ideas uh, for statecraft and how you should live your life and how you to have the best society. And uh, it's pointless if you can't communicate that to the general public. And <laughs> so, uh, you, and part of that is being clear in what you're saying. And so countercurrents does a good job at that. And, um, and in part, because you recommended that book. So I thought that book was wonderful. And so I went on to read his autobiography and, What's it called? uh, um, it's called actually, I might have it right next to me. It's not war times. Autobiography. Okay, doing battle. Okay, so I knew it had something to do with war. Okay, doing battle is his autobiography. Wartime is his most popular book that he wrote about war. Um, now he was in World War Two. He was in the infantry, and um, in the infantry shaped a lot of his worldview in the sense as a skeptic because and that's the subtitle of the book it's doing battle the making of a skeptic um he grew up in california he had you know what he said a privileged life wonderful upbringing and then in world war ii he was drafted um and he left, you know, left college to go fight. And being uh, in the infantry, that's kind of the, those are the people that that just, that go out on the ground um, and suffer the most. And one of the things that he pointed out, he said, um, uh, you know, during, you know, during, during his thoughts, I've got to find this quote. It's really fantastic. Um here, okay, here, here it is. I keep a diary, and in my journal, I write down uh, my some of my favorite quotes. He says, uh, "I'd also learn that there's one officer can never indulge, and that's self pity. Combat makes you realize how unspeakably lucky you are to have lost as yet no limbs to eat and sleep daily, and to be on the winning side." F. Scott Fitzgerald and Hemingway agreed that if you're any good, you could understand that everything that happens to you is your own damn fault, and you embrace this knowledge and go from there. Um, so it's it's also another reminder, and this was a running theme in Diana Mosley's autobiography too, because she did during her time in prison. It was uh, there was a situation where all the food was all the bread was moldy. Uh, they didn't have any clean running water because uh, the sewer because the the water system had been bombed, um, and you know we look we look at that today and we have to think about how 
unspeakably lucky we are uh, to not be in battle at all. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, yeah, we have to be grateful for, for these small things. And uh, war was something he also realized that there were all of these young men who like him, they, they didn't choose to be in this conflict. Um, and the getting towards the end of the war, Germany was particularly so desperate um, that they, you know, they're, they're, they were spending the last of their soldiers and uh, they, he recounts a time where um, they, you know, he came across, uh, and this is common with other war biographies, but uh, you know, he came across a young man who must've been like, you know, 17, really, really young. And uh, you know, you wonder about the human capital that's spent in what a tragedy that is and what, culture and creativity that we've lost, uh, in, in fighting these things. So, um, we don't, you know, and it's important to remember these things now when we've got crazy people in power who are calling for war against, uh, let's attack Iran. I think Lindsey Graham just asked for that yesterday. I mean, he's been going on and on about this since October 7th, but, yeah, uh, you know, we can't, all of these human lives are valuable and uh you know you forget that you forget the the carnage because we um we're not exposed to it uh you know one on one or we're not exposed to it personally and then we're overexposed to it uh politically and in the news cycle it's like oh well there's always war going on and there's nothing i can do about it so right you don't um uh we don't care about it anymore. So anyway, so those those are probably my top two books. That that, those are both uh, those are both very interesting. I like reading biographies because sometimes they're very inspiring. Uh, I like to read biographies of creative people, especially. the The big question that I want to talk about today, and just get everybody's take on this, is what do you think the best and the worst things of twenty twenty three are? For the movement, just give one or two things, uh, the best and the worst of 2023 for the movement. I'd like to go on and then talk about what we think is going to happen in 2024. And I also want to talk about the the, the biggest, uh, how, to, how to put it, the person that impressed us the most in 2023 and the person who disappointed us the most in 2023. So again, the best and the worst things for the movement in 2023 and the the people that both made us most proud and most disappointed in 2023. David, do you want to start? Sure. So I think the biggest big the best thing for the movement was the ban the ADO campaign and getting if not free speech on X. There was this massive breakthrough where it wasn't just x it was also charlie turk charlie kirk talking about the you know who which would have been unthinkable a few years ago and i noticed that with these grand paradigm shifts and these black swan events people adjust to the quote new normal pretty quickly and they they quickly forget just they, they, they stop appreciating just what a switch that was part of that is a human mind quickly adapts to anything but this is a major thing. If you had told me that in 2022, I would have said, you are crazy. That won't happen. Well, it did happen. And we can definitely capitalize upon it. And 
I know that some people are kind of sour grapes about this because maybe they're not being given the recognition that they feel they deserve. My stance on that is that it doesn't matter what matters is winning. You need to be focused on winning. And if you get credit, that's wonderful. But look, all these great authors that die without being credit, like H.P. Lovecraft. Now, that's not what we're aiming for, but that might be something you have to be willing to accept for victory. I don't think we do need to accept it, but be patient. You'll get credit. And we are making huge strides with this. Um, the worst thing, I don't think there really was a worst thing. I, I would just say that on our, you know, January 6th prosecutions continue and the FBI is not abolished yet. But we'll get there. For best people, kind of with my first point, I'd say it's Keith Woods. He's proven to be a master diplomat. And one of my pet peeves is that we have no real statesmen nowadays. It seems like everyone's a shock jock or amateurish. And that's not just in the movement. That seems to be the regime in society as a, society as a whole. We, we have this paucity of professionality. People will LARP as professional, but they don't actually act it. But Keith Woods acts like a proper statesman. I would see him you know, being a some type of government official or diplomat during the 1800s. I mean, I'd like to think I'd be a field marshal. Who knows? That might just be a dream in our heads. But it's great to see some maturity and professionality amongst the youth again. And I, I have very high hopes for him. Who's the biggest disappointment? Oh, boy. I think I'm not going to name Nate. I, I'm going to just say that the NJP in general, because I had differences with them, but I still respected them as a pro-white organization. I really respected the stuff that their people did. And the fragmentation has been a huge letdown. Even though I didn't agree with all their optics or a lot of stuff or some personalities, just seeing that implosion was, it's not good because they, they had potential. Now, it, it seems it was being wasted. But a silver lining is that the people involved are still good. And I hope that everyone who is involved with that, that you don't you take some time off, maybe go cry in your safe space, but don't throw a perpetual pity party. Kind of going off what science said about the book about World War II, you, you can't blame yourself. Don't, don't wall in self-pity. At survival training, they, they called it a pity party. Don't have a pity party. This is not your fault. This is your leader's fault. You are still a good person. Your friends are still good people. Even if you take a little hiatus and chill out, you, please come back and do something. I'm sure even, even if it's this highly aggressive social media activism, you're still valuable towards us. And definitely keep your connections up. Don't just, you know, throw in the towel. Like, at least if if, any, if if nothing comes out of NJP other than that people made friendships, that is still a victory. That is still a network that can do things in the future. And I think Nathan D'Amigo made comments to that. I'm, 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 I fully agree with that. And I forgot the third, what the third issue was. Well, we, we'll come to that later. We'll go one, we'll have another round. I think that's, those are good answers. For me, the worst thing for the movement in 2023 was the terrible economy. It wasn't so terrible that it caused rioting or governments to fall, but it was terrible enough just to keep everything depressed and to make it very, very difficult for us to uh, raise funds and organize. That's definitely the worst kind of terrible economy. Uh, everyone's just sort of depressed. No one's angry and no money is flowing into the movement, which is what we've been trying to fund. The best stuff for the movement this year, well, there are a lot of good things. I do think that, and this is a terrible thing to say, the Gaza conflict has been very good for the movement. It's a terrible thing, 
It's been very good for the movement. It's been extremely instructive. It's been extremely red-pilling. And I'm quite delighted at how well a lot of our people have responded to this. I think that this is a sign of maturity, that things that people are getting better and better and more mature in, in responding to these things quite well. All my friends on Twitter have been doing fantastic work, skewering the hypocrisy of various people. Also showing how certain people who had staked out the right, built up followers and stuff like that, just tore off the mask and revealed that really they're just all about Israel when you come right down to it. I think that's that's very useful. Things like that have been happening a lot. So I I, I do think that this is this is tremendously important. I remember last year when Kanye West came out and was the, doing his thing. And it became very, very clear that, for instance, everybody in, in, a, in the Bronze Age pervert sphere, including the man himself, they, they unmasked themselves as holding down the kosher end of the right wing spectrum. And with the, the Gaza conflict, they've been doing the same thing. If anybody didn't learn their lessons during the Kanye events, they've learned it now, I would hope. So yeah, the, it's it's a terrible thing, but it's also been good for unmasking a lot of bad actors, and that's that's helpful. Now, the biggest disappointment of 2023 for me is Tucker Carlson. I just think he's uh, he's just become a clown. Sadly, the person that I think has done the best in 2023, I agree, is Keith Woods. And Travel Blanc wrote a piece, basically at my behest, actually, but he agreed with it too, naming Keith as the most valuable player for 2023. So Cyan, what do you think the best and worst things, events for the movement were in 2023? Uh, who has done you the most proud or done us the most and proud? And who's the biggest disappointment? Ooh, there is so much going on in this question. Uh, I hope I hope I can answer all of it without forgetting parts of it. Um, let's see. Well, I do. I agree with you guys uh, and David that ban the ADL campaign was hilarious and good. Um, and that was a ton of fun. And then, of course, immediately followed by the Israel-Palestine, Israel-Hamas war, which was just, just fascinating uh, because it really highlights the difference of interests between the people who are acting as our representatives and your day-to-day individuals. You know, Greg, you brought up the economy. The last thing people want is another war uh, or to, you know, we just, we don't have the money to fund another war. And then we have Janet Yellen saying, oh, absolutely. We have another hundred billion dollars uh that we can spend on this and uh you know it'll it'll it would only cost 18 billion to finish the border wall but we're definitely going to send 14 billion or 20 billion to israel and this is you know your average day-to-day person uh or republican or just humans out on the street are they feel the economy but they don't really understand how you know what what America's uh, negotiating position is with Israel? They just think, okay, this they're seeing the mainstream media and they're seeing the headlines, and they say, oh yeah, well it's really really bad. Um, oh, I heard that 
they Hamas decapitated babies, but they're not, they're not getting the giant discrepancy. I lost, I stopped paying attention to the casualty numbers after uh, Palestine hit 15,000. Um, but the, the difference of the blowback here, you know, we had the, the attack on October 7th killed 1400 Israelis. And then the reaction to that is, uh, you know, over, it was over 15,000 when I stopped paying attention. So, uh, it's just, there's an incredible difference, uh, there. And so your average person doesn't really get that. They also think, well, you know, war is just a bad thing. Um, and they are suffering economically. Um, but those of us who are paying attention and people on social media and in, in politics, generally commentators, it's a great opportunity for us to point out uh, the discrepancy in what is actually best for our people and the American who are the American people, by the way, not Israel, uh, not the Jewish people, although you know, <laughs> so I, it's amazing to me that we have to remind our uh, politicians of that. One of the funniest things that I saw this last year was, was what's his name? Brian Mast. I think that's the Republican from Florida who went out on the Congress floor in his IDF uniform. And this is an American congressman. Uh, an American representative of Florida going out in the uniform of a foreign nation on the Congress floor. And it's instances like that, which are just, <laughs> so you can point at that and say, what, what are we doing? And this guy isn't even Jewish. And there are plenty of people like, you know, Anthony Blinken and um, others that went over to Israel right after the attack and, and, um, well, of course, you know, Lindsey Graham, uh, you know, has called for raising Gaza to the ground. Um, and this is just just absurd. Uh, and this guy, Brian Mast, isn't even Jewish. He's an evangelical Christian. So, it, you know, it's it's giving us some really, inter and really interesting uh, points for consideration. So, I mean, it's a bad thing that's happening. War is always bad, but it's also... Uh, yeah, I, I think it ties into this year. I think this year, I guess in my mind, maybe this year has all been about uh, calling out the Jewish lobby. I mean, those are the major political events that I can think of, I guess. So, so that those are those are all really interesting medical metapolitical points that we can focus on, and then um, good things for the movement progress wise. Uh, I would say are the uh the uh, the AFD elections in Germany that's extremely encouraging um although they're talking about banning the party which is not encouraging uh but again another metapolitical point for us to discuss and focus on um let's see Gert Wilders uh his election in the Netherlands that was very encouraging uh you know he's been trying for years so uh that that would be viewed as a swing to the right. Um, so I guess this also segues into what is the most disappointing. And Maloney, of course, was elected 
last year, and uh, so she is probably the one, the most disappointing player, uh, because after she was elected on a platform of stopping immigration, the boat arrivals increased by 150 percent. Um, and she's been working out these immigration deals and finally conceded that Italy needs more immigration for economic reasons. So it's just really disappointing. People were hoping and expecting that she would be a female version of Victor Orban, and that is not the case. Um, so uh, also disappointing would be uh, you know, I, I don't know. Donald, it's encouraging and also disappointing that uh, it's encouraging that Donald Trump at the beginning of the year, uh, I was at CPAC and we uh, and he was saying, if I'm elected, we're going to have the biggest deportation operation that America's ever seen. And uh, and then so it's encouraging on the one hand that he's recognizing that this is what he needs to run on again is immigration. This is what the American people care about. Um, and then in practice, there have been talks about, well, who's going to staff his administration? And he's considered putting Jared Kushner in a secretary of state. So. Um, I, who knows what's going to happen? This election is going to be really interesting. Um, most encouraging people. Um, I, you know, I, we were talking a little bit about people who are actually getting elected. And uh, I've been paying attention to this in Oklahoma. Uh, Judd Blevins in uh, Enid, Oklahoma, got uh, appointed as commissioner. And or he was elected as commissioner, and this was a really fan. You know, he this is really encouraging to anybody out there in the movement. I think because what makes this significant is that he was doxxed in 2017 for participating in Charlottesville uh, in 2017, and. You know, to many of us who have suffered being doxxed, this would be, uh, you know, just utterly catastrophic, right? And you'd think, well, oh, you can't, you can never, you know, engage in politics again. Well, that's not true uh, because, and this was the first time that the people of Enid were given a choice. Uh, they had just had an incumbent for the last several years and they voted for uh, Blevins and he got elected. And now, a few, uh, yeah, so he got elected despite uh, having been at Charlottesville. So uh, that's, you know, it's it's encouraging because we can be immune to that now. Um, and then, of course, a few months later, they the Enid Social, Just, Social Justice Committee, I think that's what they call themselves, uh, started. They're, they're making a stink about getting a recall petition going. I don't think they were successful. Um, but he's been doing a very, very good job uh, just very maturely defending his position. And when during a council meeting where the, um, you know, this committee was kind of harassing him and giving, giving him a hard time and, and telling the other commissioners, hey, we have to we have to get him off. Um, he, uh, you know, he. He responded, where's the where's the quote? I wrote it down, too, because it was so good. Oh, he says, uh, it's important for the American people 
to advocate for what they believe in. The First Amendment gives us freedom of speech. We either have this right or we don't. If we find ourselves having to make apologies when we exercise these rights, then we don't have them. And I thought that was a really mature uh, and, and important response. Yeah, um, excellent. Hey, so, just one sec. We're going to add Endeavor. Uh, hi. Endeavor has dropped by. I said there would be some surprise drop bys, and we have a <laughs> surprise drop by from Endeavor. Endeavor, welcome. welcome. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New yeah, Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you happy too. Happy New Year's. Yeah. Well, well, hey, uh, let me let me toss out the the the, the two questions that we we were discussing to you. Um, sure. um, What's you? What do you think the 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 best and the worst events of 2023 for the movement are? And then, can you name the person in 2023 who is the biggest disappointment uh, to you, uh, and also the person that you think has done the best work or made us most proud, made you most proud in 2023? Sure. So. I think that the biggest uh, victory for us in 2023 is many of our talking points reaching a new level of, uh, of, of, of mainstream accept acceptability, that many of the things that we've been talking about for years are starting to be discussed by people like Elon Musk, people like, uh, I know I'm not saying the guy's necessarily our friend, but this Vivek Ramaswamy guy's outright saying that the great replacement is real on a presidential de debate and he can say that and not you know be canceled and not be canceled for that uh and, and i feel that a lot of our ideas are they can no longer just just brush them off there's something that the uh mainstream has to now engage with uh someone like elon musk again uh he might not be a hundred percent red pilled but he certainly uh He's certainly a lot better than, than well, pretty much everyone else in the, in that uh, in the upper echelons of the elite class. But the fact that he's actually engaging with some of our ideas, maybe he agrees with some of them, maybe he doesn't. But that gives them a uh, that gives them a level of legitimacy that they've ne they have never had before. So I'd say that's the biggest positive of 2023. It's seeing uh, many of our ideas. Uh, getting a greater uh, amount of legitimacy and really entering the public uh, consciousness to a greater degree. And then seeing some of our enemies take a bloody nose, like the Zionist lobby, like the Anti-Defamation League. Uh, that, that, that's been the other positive. That's been the other big positive. Uh, the biggest negative of the year, I would say, is just the number of, of immigrants that are pouring into into white countries. So Uh, if, if you look across the board, whether it's Canada, U.S., Britain, Italy, whatever country, basically whatever country you look at, the immigration numbers have just been exponential this year. Uh, I saw a graph about Canada a couple of days ago, and it's 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 just incredible how uh, they the the numbers are unfathomable. Like it it makes the uh, it makes the so-called migrant crisis from 2015. Uh, it makes that look tame in comparison, but you know there's no big social media campaign uh, trying to justify it. They're just trying to they're, they're just they're just going ahead with it without without putting it on social media now because well I think that they've lost that battle and now they just kind of realize okay we're not gonna we're not gonna play this whole like refugees welcome 
uh, crying brown child. Uh, oh, look at this kid who washed up on the beach. That's not working anymore. Let's just let's just go, let's just do it and hope that they don't notice because we're not going to put it on social media. Uh, the immigration numbers. That's the biggest. Uh, that's the biggest uh, negative of the year. Though I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily anything that's. Uh, to be, I, I don't know if that's unexpected, though. I mean, I think we all know the reality of the immigration situation. Um, the, uh, I'd say, I'd say, if, for, for individuals who who has done the best work uh, with individuals in our sphere, I have to say that's definitely Keith Woods. Uh, he's been retweeted by Elon Musk uh, once or twice, I believe. Musk has replied to a few of his his tweets. He's done great work with. Uh, the ADL, with the Gaza conflict, with uh, free speech in Ireland, with the protests against immigration and against uh, violence by mi- migrants in Ireland. I'd say Keith Woods has done the best job, uh, and I'm pretty sure everyone, uh, I know that Countercurrents had named him the MVP. And then from a more, uh, more broadly, I'd say Elon Musk, because uh, this kind of renewed energy that I feel uh, we, have behind, we have behind our movement I think that Twitter is the is the reason for that, or X. I'm just going to call. I'm just going to continue calling it Twitter. I kind of think the new name is a bit ridiculous, but nonetheless, uh, I feel that we're winning on this platform because uh, I, I even I, I have never been banned from Twitter. I still have the original Twitter account uh, Twitter account that I made about how long ago did I make that? About five or six years ago at this point. Um, but I just got bored of the platform and I, and I, I was sick of it. I, I felt like, you know, I, I tweet something out and then the same 20 people like it and then it never goes anywhere and you're just preaching to the choir and it's just us arguing over, uh, you know, minute non- nonsense that doesn't really matter in the whole scheme of things. But now it feels like Twitter. We're not only uh, do I feel that like uh, our group, our sphere is much more unified on Twitter now because we, we spent a couple, a couple years arguing amongst each ourselves on Telegram. Uh, the, on, on we're actually interacting with the mainstream, and and I've been able to ratio some pretty big uh, conservative accounts. So, like Alex, you probably saw the recent cringe that the newly reinstated Alex Jones posted today. Uh, he posted this rant saying how well uh, Galton in, uh, created the Nazis because he created eugenics, and then. Nazis believe in eugenics and that the new world order is a, uh, they wearing a Jewish skin and it's actually a Nazi world order. And, uh, I mean, I, I don't see how that follows. I don't see how Galton created eugenics. Therefore he created the Nazis. Therefore they are the current world order. I don't see how that follows, but, um, you just click on the replies and, uh, and he's just getting, and every single reply is basically calling him out saying, uh, well, well, calling out his 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 obviously incorrect. Uh, well, a, attempt to, to hide the truth, really. Attempt to mislead people. I I just retweeted him and I said I, I quote tweeted him and I said uh, somebody please somebody tell Jones what the founding fathers of the United States believed about race because you know Jones is someone who who will like scream about seventy seven seventeen seventy six and our Constitution and but but I mean he's he he, he even the, he he would call the people that. Uh, founded America, he'd call them Nazis, and and I really find that that's that's this kind of uh this this kind of these kind of talking points are really falling apart. I've had a lot of fun with Prager University. They've been doing these things that they like they'll like complete the sentence, so it's like you can't be a conservative if you're not for. And I just like 
you can't be a conservative if you're not for white ethno states. What's the, they asked, what's the most overused word of 2023? I replied, anti-Semitism. And I'm, and I look through the replies and yeah, I'm, it's this kind of stuff. The people who are following them are eating it up. So definitely Elon Musk because he's been, he's given us a much, uh, a better platform to project to, um, well, 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 to, to actually be able to engage with with the public discourse, the most disappointing person of 2023, I think Tucker Carlson, uh, he he had this big opportunity once he was let go of Fox because you could have made the argument that well he's he's on mainstream television, he needs to kind of hide his power level, and you know he's pushing the boomers who watch Fox in the right direction. I mean, the fact that he's even saying anything at all, like even saying that well multiculturalism might not be good that he's pushing things in the right direction i mean that's i don't think that's happening anymore um i think that his new content has been basically just trash that's uh uh the target audience just seems to be like sub 90 iq average uh and he's still going on about this whole oh martin luther king don't i don't believe in race i don't care about demographic i mean yeah tucker carlson has been a total disappointment but Overall, I do feel that, uh, like I said, these kind of talking points really are starting to take an L. I don't think that they're going to be, uh, at least on the right, I don't think that they're going to be uh, tenable for very much longer. So overall, I'd say I had, a, I think that this year has been very positive. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Carl Thorburn, our Bitcoin guru and Twitter bad boy, has joined us. Carl, welcome to the show. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me. Um Happy old year, everybody. Yeah. Um, it was. <laughs> well, well, what about the old year do you think has been best and worst for our cause? Um, well, I mean, let me just start real quick by saying um, I think if you had asked anybody at the beginning of uh, this year what they thought this year would look like, they were probably pretty um, depressed about it. You know, I mean, it, it was kind of scary going into this year. And I think it, most people would probably agree that it turned out to be a pretty good year on the whole. Um, not perfect, obviously, but yeah, the, I think the um, the best thing for me was absolutely just the fact that we can finally uh, move about on Twitter without having to worry so, so much about um, being banned. That's huge. Um, and it's been a pleasant surprise because, you know, even though a lot of us, ha you know, have been banned for stupid reasons, it, the degree and the extent of it is just way diminished compared to what it was. Um, and so we can thank Elon for that. Um, now, whether or not that's going to hold true going into the, you know, as we get closer to the elections, that's yet to be seen. Uh, fingers crossed it is true. Like, I, you know, I don't have total faith in Elon, but we'll, you know, we'll see how it plays out. Um, the, uh, yeah, the, I mean, you know, and, and like everybody mentioned, you know, there was Keith Woods, but uh, I think, you know, just, just from my perspective is that I think that, um, our points and our ideas are, are hitting more eyeballs than they used to be. Um, everywhere you go on the internet, not just Twitter, uh, you see in comments sections at least one or two people who think like we do, um, you know, making points. And 
you know, they, they do it in clever ways. You know, they're smart enough to, to not get banned and, and to, uh, to sort of pique pe- people's interests and get them to, to look around. Um, that's a great thing. Cause I feel like that's indicative of the general trend, which is that, um, you know, obviously we're not going to get the, the normie conservatives making our points for us um, overnight. It's going to take a little while people, but people just have to see them first and that's good enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of disappointment, I, I would agree with Endeavor that, you know, Tucker and um, Alex Jones have been major disappointments lately. And I think it that people now kind of see that they are, I, I mean, I speculate that maybe they're participating in some kind of uh, de-radicalization effort um, to try to pull people back into sort of centrism or libertarian thought. And um, because, you know, you can, you can guess whether or not that that's due to uh, them being um, compromised in some way, or if it's rather just them trying to make more money because, you know, it, it is in their financial best interest, I think, to prevent people from heading in our direction. They, they want to keep people in the 1776 mode of thinking. Um, and so, yeah, uh, th- those are the, those are the two, two major disappointments. I obviously also like, I, I just saw a video uh, a couple days ago of, uh, it was taken at the Southern border of just dozens of trucks. Um, like rolling through effortlessly, you know, without being stopped. And it, it, I don't know if it was real video or not, but it, it looked like a free for all um, of just these vehicles coming into the U S and i commented that, you know, God only knows, you know, besides the illegals, you know, there's no telling how much uh, fentanyl is in these vehicles either, you know? So it's, I mean, um, that's a really bad situation, but you know, those types of situations um, lend us, great propaganda, right? Like, I mean, this year has been awesome as far as just like our ability to point to specific individuals, you know, like, um, Cyan mentioned, you know, um, you know, Mayorkas and, um, uh, who's the other, the, um, Blinken, you know, and these other, uh, uh, Jewish individuals who, who were sort of promoting the open borders, uh, situation. And, and, you know, we have tons of examples of this occurring. And so, uh, yeah, it, it provides us with uh, good ammunition and in, in arguments and in, in making our points. Um, so yeah, we've just uh, you know, and, and then of course, obviously, Bitcoin has has gone up. Uh, I believe, hundred and sixty percent so far uh, this year. So I think that that was uh, great for us. Anytime Bitcoin goes up, that enriches uh, pro white movement. So this is um, true. Yeah, yeah, and so I think that we're, you know, uh, it's people's tendency to want to to sell when you've had a good year, but uh, I would recommend against that, you know, hold, hold on tighter. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Hey, Bitcoin uh, guy. <laughs> yeah. What should we do? Uh, oh yeah. I, well, I mean, you know, you know, I've, I've been pretty consistent. I said, you know, no altcoins buy Bitcoin consistently um, whenever you can and just hold, hold as long as you can, unless you have an emergency that you need to spend it. Um, right. Yeah. Hey, I want to add Jim Goad to the show. Jim, welcome. Hey, hey, folks. How you doing? Yeah. Hi, Jim. Hey. Hey, Happy New Year. Likewise. Yeah. So what do you think the best and the worst of 2023 are for this thing of ours, this cause? 
uh, for white people. I mean, it's put it that way. Hard to disagree much with what everyone else has said. I think the uh, the major Jew pilling is a positive. I was mm-hmm. un- unspeakable not that long ago. They, I mean, they are crafty though. They may figure out a way to make it unspeakable in the in the near future. But uh, that's refreshing, at least. One thing I've bemoaned, uh, it's not not only our spheres, but all political spheres, is people don't talk about economics anymore. I mean, Carl just talked about Bitcoin, but it seems there's nothing but culture wars and economics have completely fallen out. Uh, I'd like people to. And one of the things that hasn't been mentioned yet is hamburgers are thirty dollars and you go to get a smoothie and it's twenty five bucks. That's alarming to me. And I I don't see uh, how that's going to get better. That's that's a great point. Um, I mean, that's that's really something that, you know, if it weren't for the culture wars, um, this would be the thing that would that would win Republicans elections is just the insane inflation. Um, And, you know, the fact that Republicans can't connect inflation to mass immigration, particularly with regards to like housing prices, is is just really stupid. Um, But, uh, yeah, I I mean, um, you know, and there's so many ways that you can tie in the culture war to economics. Like, um, you know, for instance, um, the fact that it's so difficult to start a family and have children for young people nowadays, uh, that's very much an economics question. Uh, and it's just not really touched on too much. I think in Australia and Canada, it, it's, um, you know, economics takes a more of a center stage. But in America, it's all about culture. But now now it is. If you look back, you know, 10, 12 years ago, it was Occupy Wall Street versus the Tea Party, and they all talked about it. I'm I'm starting to think that this was deliberate and that pe- it, people's attention has been shunted away because as far as the national debt and things like and inflation, the economy is really, really bad shape. But I, I think everyone's been shunted away from it, like I said, on purpose, because it's too horrible to even ponder. Uh, I'm hoping the bottom doesn't fall out. I mean, it, one of the one of the most significant things about the war in Ukraine and everything else is the United States dollar is is on its way out. That's that's why I didn't take a stand in what's happening in Ukraine. I, I think the, the major fallout of that, it's going to be bad for America and especially the dollar's primacy. But people don't talk about it too much. Maybe it's just too horrible to consider. I'm not sure. I think economics might make a comeback because it ties more into race now when the government is being so blatant. For example, they're giving free health care to random invaders who cross the border in California. This is courtesy of Governor Gavin Newsom, Gruesome Newsom as we call him. And it makes what is a what is at first glance an economic issue a, a completely it's a racial issue because these people are foreign. These are not Americans, they're not white. And if for right now, current case law in America states that if you can't treat different races differently, except for extreme circumstances like prison riots, and this would be considered a race-based classification, they said, hey, only only Hispanic Americans get free health care, or only blacks. And I know people try to do do stuff, but it gets shut down in court or doesn't go anywhere. This basically is sub- circumventing it because there are no white people coming across the border. There are no 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 Ukrainians or Romanians. This is just Mexicans or apparently Africans now. They are given put on a pedestal and given all the all this stuff like three hundred dollars cash, free hotel rooms, and now health care. It's, I mean, I might as well just like cross the border and claim I'm Mexican. I speak Spanish. It's more egregious now. I mean, I, I left California 29 years ago in 1994. There, I forget the prop ballot number, but there was something about they were going to deny free health care to illegal aliens. 
And they were in the streets. I remember uh, with my Mercury Cougar, I was at, at a red light at Sunset and Vine, and you had Mexican protesters. They draped my car in a Mexican flag. I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm a native, I work full time, and I don't have any health care, much less free. So yeah, I mean, back then I was I was connecting race and the economy. But That's it's, it's right. much, much worse than ever, yeah. That was Proposition 187, I think. And mm-hmm. I when the news came out about this uh, free health care for illegal immigrants in California, it starts on, on the 1st. <laughs> Um, the first thought that crossed my mind is, wait, this is the, the thing that we asked for. This is the exact opposite of what we asked for. And it's another illustration of just the difference between the opinions of the political class that can, you know, go push whatever they want. And then your everyday person, because proposition 187, that's, you were around, that's, something that they that people voted on uh nobody voted on allowing undocumented immigrants well, illegal and, immigrants to and not, not that i'm just not cynical to my core anyway but the only two things i've ever voted for that passed was donald trump in 2016 i didn't get anything i wanted there and there was i think it was prop 103 in california it was uh to roll back car insurance rates by 20 percent. someone had determined people were paying too much for car insurance and and it passed. I'm like, yes, the people have, you know, Vox Populi, the people have a, a voice. Within three months, the outgoing insurance commissioner, Roxanne Gillespie, she found some sort of loophole. I was paying twice as much in car insurance. So I, I it's I'd love someone to convince me that voting is anything other than anti-riot insurance, because I've never <laughs> really got anything that I that I wanted from voting. That might be the case. I, there was a term that uh, they came up with at VDARE, I think it was James Fulford, um, called Cretarchy, Crytarchy. They called it the Crytarchy, basically. And in this was an example uh, of that happening. The people voted for Proposition 187, and then it was overturned. It was just declared unconstitutional by the Ninth Circuit Court. And the point of using that term is um, it's it's a term that comes from rule of it basically means rule of judges. Uh, from and it comes from the book of judges you know during that time when the um uh yeah when society was ruled by judges rather than the people and so that's kind of what we what we have is a country that's ruled by judges and a political elite class but it's got the veneer of democracy so it's even Uh, worse so we pretending that we have a real democracy but we actually don't (laughs) Yeah, I was discussing this exact subject with a friend a couple weeks ago. And, um, you know, I just made the case. I was like, you know, look, um, if if whatever the executive branch wants to do can easily be undone or, or prevented by a Hawaiian judge, then, um, you know, the, the way to, the way the judicial system works is that the, the judges interpret the laws. But, you know, if the judges are persistently interpreting the laws in, in just absolutely ridiculous ways and there's no way for the people to check it um and then you might as well just have uh, an executive stand up to the judge and say look um i'm gonna defy the courts and my rationale for doing that is that i have a different interpretation of the judge's ruling than the judge does Right. You know, I mean, like if, if they get to interpret the, the laws, then we should get to interpret the rulings. Yeah. 
<laughs> right? I mean, you, you know, it, it just it's to the point that it, some of these uh, judges really do legislate legislate from the bench, and I think that that may end up being the the um, sort of the location where America's uh, federal government begins to to snap, right? But we'll see. Yeah, on the on the whole economics issue uh, in Canada, uh, the cost of living crisis is it's it's out of control. And and it's housing that's the big one. It's it's the cost of housing. And uh, you might you know those millennial uh, woman uh, TikTok videos. It's some woman in her twenties or thirties. Uh, ranting about how expensive things are, how she can't manage. You've all seen videos like that. Um, uh, there was this one that went viral from Toronto, uh, my native city, uh, and it was this woman who had uh, who was ranting about an ad on uh, an ad for an apartment, and the, the ad it posted about I think it was about nine hundred Canadian dollars, nine maybe nine fifty, so around seven hundred US dollars. And uh, according to this listing, uh, you have to pay 900 or so Canadian dollars a month to live in a one-room apartment and share a bed with a stranger. So you actually had to sleep in the same bed as the person that you're, uh, that you're uh, your roommate. Uh, <laughs> what a steal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah you ever... Is it Harvey Weinstein? <laughs> 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 but uh, but it all comes back to immigration though because like I, uh, like the numbers I, I mentioned earlier the numbers in Canada they're just uh, off the chart the immigration numbers are just off the charts and this is and this is uh, this is all what, what this is what's causing the cost of living crisis um, I mean one thing I saw that was kind of a white pill but not really uh, I saw a report that said that immigrants are leaving Canada at a faster pace now that doesn't mean there's still more coming than leaving. However, uh, more leaving than before because uh, a lot of times they they can't really afford it. Now, it's a white pill that they're leaving. It's a black pill that, well, they're leaving because the country is no longer a country that's really nice to live in. Uh, but, uh, I mean, what that does tell you, though, is that if uh, if the situation for them, well, first of all, that they can go back. And secondly, if the situation was no longer favorable for them in white countries, they would go back. So, you know, take, take from that what you, what you will, but, uh, oh yeah, go ahead. I'm sure immigration has a lot to do with it, but isn't, what, what's the estimate? 35% of the dollars in existence were printed in 2020. I, I mean, if I knew more about <laughs> economics, I wouldn't be working as hard <laughs> as I do. But, uh, I mean, my understanding is that's things don't get more expensive. The dollar gets weaker. And when you, when you just flood the market with dollars, that's everything goes up. And yeah, sure, right. we're, immigration we're still... has a, a lot to do. Yeah. And, and a lot of those dollars that are printed, um, they're sent overseas. And so, um, you know, and this is part of the reason, too, that you've seen like um, uh, Javier Millet, the, the new guy who was just um, elected in um, Argentina. I think it was Argentina, was it? Yeah. yeah. Um, he put into effect basically that they would be um, using the, um, the U.S. dollar uh, instead of their own currency, which I mean, I guess that's a slight upgrade. But what, what that does is that means that. Um, now, whenever the U.S. central bank increases the supply of dollars, that's that's effectively they also get to tax um, Argentinians. So you know, more the more countries that use the dollar, the more we get to leech off of them, 
right? So uh, if you're a central bank, your goal is to get as many people using your currency as possible, right? Because you, you you get to inflate it. And so uh, that's, yeah. Uh, but th- many of these dollars, like I said, they're overseas. And so it's only a matter of time. And this is not, this is not something that the US government or, or any central bank has control over. But it is only a matter of time until those dollars start to make their way back to the US, right? And and when they start flooding back into the US, that's really going to kick off inflation. And it's not something that a central bank can can stop because those dollars already exist. They already printed them, but they're just not here yet, right? So it's, yeah, the future is not, it's not pretty for the dollar. <laughs> so fun fact, I, I looked this up online because I read one stat where 40% of all income taxes go towards paying the interest on the debt. So I was wondering, okay, well, there, we get a lot of other money from tariffs and all that. What's the big, big final number? And it looks like are the current national debt is over 100% of the annual annual GDP. And I tried, I, I looked at it, it had ups and downs, but it was a general rise from like 30% when this Keynesian economics began. It's now 100%. So imagine if you as a person were in all the money made in one year, you also had that much credit card debt or you are a business where all your all the money that came in is also your debt now when you go to bankruptcy you and we look at solvency you ask the are there more debts than assets and assets are not the same as income generated per year for example if you have a small income you have a bunch of assets that's different and we cannot extrapolate one from one from a person to a country, but still that's extremely bad because the problem is that America doesn't have assets anymore. It deindustrialized, so those assets went off over to China, which is now our enemy. And the people, well, we have low birth rates and the people are getting dumber and more dysgenic and more uneducated and they have to pick up the tab for non-whites. So the people are, that asset is going down too. So at this point, the that doesn't really soften this as much as it would. So this is not tenable. And it's over 100%. It's like it's been through like 100, 103%, like 100, 110%. So this is what Trump is going to inherit. And I don't think he, good luck, he's going to have to try to manage this somehow. And, and I think they're purposely wrecking the country. So he has a harder time ruling it. Basically, it's the, the looters complex that uh, Hoppe talked about. We're in, in a, a democracy. If you can't control it, you might as well loot it. And they know that they definitely cannot control it for much longer. So they're just looting it on the way out. They're basically trashing the hotel room as they're being kicked out by the security. Hey, let's welcome Gaddius. Gaddius Maximus, welcome to the show. Hey, how's everyone doing today? Uh, Happy New Year to everyone. Yeah, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. Yeah, we were uh, basically dealing with the question of the best and the worst of 2023 for white people, what, in your opinion, is the best and the worst of this year for for whites? Uh, well, I'd say the best is probably what's commonly known as uh, the Overton window. I, I know it gets it gets a, uh, it, it derided a little bit nowadays because it's uh, s- s- allegedly a stale meme. But I mean the 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 discourse, like the range of discourse, has definitely shifted in our favor in no small part due to uh, you know the 
changing social media landscape, Elon Musk and uh, all of, all of the guys on Twitter driving in conversation, all the Anons, everybody uh, doing their part in the big name accounts, changing the conversation also. So I'd say that's the best thing. It, it, the Overton window, it, like things are, I don't want to say it's like water cooler talk yet, but it's, it's pretty close. It's pretty close. Uh, like Jewish issues, uh, white demographic replacement, the great replacement, uh, white identity. It's getting pretty close to water cooler conversation. So it's, it's, it's casual conversation right now, but it's, you know, there's still a little trepidation there, but it's definitely the Overton window is, uh, probably the biggest, the biggest thing that's, uh, helped white people the best thing for white people in 2023 i'd say yeah so what's the worst thing of 2023 <laughs> well well i mean it's a it's the classic it's the great replacement i suppose it's uh you know the demographic situation but i mean you know yeah, it, of course it's bad of course it's it's a bad thing that's happening but the thing is though it's like numbers yeah, we want, we want numbers. We want, you know, healthy numbers. We want healthy replacement population, but it's like, uh, a small group of determined people can, you know, change the course of history. And it's not, it's not necessarily, uh, I mean, it's a bad thing that we're, uh, Americans are like 58% of their own country now. Uh, what is it like 42% or non-white? Uh, non-white or immigrant or whatever, but it's like, there's been, there's been times throughout history where people face similar odds, not maybe not necessarily on the demographic front, but I, I, I've thought about this a lot. I've thought about like, uh, you know, the, I, I was thinking about this today. I was thinking about like, uh, Spangler and like, uh, you know, the decline of the West or whatever. And are we, are we doomed? Are we doomed to have a decline? And I don't think so. I don't think so. I think human beings, uh, human beings are able to mold their, you know, mold their environment. They're, they're, they're able to rebel against nature. They're able to rebel against, uh, you know, civilizational cycles. I think, I I don't think we're doomed. I think we're good. So, I mean, I'd say that's the worst part the, the great replacement. Good, Greg. The, the, um, if you, if you look at, uh, recent, uh, recently independent nations like Kazakhstan or the, as yet, pretty much unrecognized state of Abkhazia, which is in the Caucasus. When these were parts of the Russian Empire and then the Soviet Union after that, their populations were being dramatically replaced. And the Kazakhs were a minority in Kazakhstan and the Abkhazians were a minority in Abkhazia. And they have reversed that. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, after Kazakhstan became independent, they started pushing out the Russian colonists, basically. The Abkhazians were a minority. The the largest group uh, occupying their land were Georgians. They had a rather brutal little war and a spasm of ethnic cleansing, and they restored themselves as masters of their own nation. Those are examples of peoples who were outright minorities in their own homelands, turning that around within a few years, or in the case of Kazakhstan, it's been a couple of decades. But uh, once you get the dynamics in motion, 
you can afford to wait. As long as the trend starts moving in your direction, you can wait. Estonia, Estonia was massively colonized. Uh, Estonians were deported by the USSR. Ethnic Russians were settled in their place. Uh, Estonia has re regained its independence and they, the, the Russian population has been slowly declining. Russians have been leaving. They weren't in a hurry about it. They didn't say you're not citizens, you've got to go or anything like that. But I, I was in Estonia and Estonia is an ethnostate. Their, their constitution states that Estonia is the homeland of the Estonian people. You go to the National Museum in Estonia, in uh, Tartu, and it is about the Estonian people and their history. And the Russians are simply there as conquerors and invaders and colonists. Uh, they are not treated as part of the nation. And uh, so it's a de facto normative ethnostate and the, the colonists are slowly departing, basically, because they don't feel comfortable there. So it is possible to, to turn these things around. It's a matter of will. And that's the, the thing that we're all working on. It's, it's a matter of implanting within our people the will to have a future again. And we can take care of all the rest of that stuff. We can do it fast or we can do it slow. We can do it nice or nasty. Uh, I prefer to do it slow and nice, uh, respecting everybody's rights in the process, but it can be done. So it's just a matter of a matter of time and a matter one, of will. One example I always use is that just over 60 years ago, there were over a million French people in Algeria and almost all of them went back to France. So never let them tell you that Algerian people in France can't go back to Algeria. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. That's, that's exactly right. Um, so I want to ask Jim and then Gaddius quickly. Jim, who do you think the most valuable player is for 2023 and who's the biggest disappointment? Uh, I, you know, I can't argue with Keith Woods. He's unobjectionable in every way. I did an imitation of him a few months back just to see if I could sound like him. I did. People thought I was making fun of him. I wasn't. The, the one Since I'm autistic, the one tiny thing, I think it was Jake Shields, an MMA fighter, who, did, who first hashtag banned the ADL, but that's about it. But yeah, I never hear of Keith. Keith's like a young Jared Taylor. I never hear of anyone having beef with him, any drama or anything. So yeah, Keith, Keith's A-OK. -okay. Anybody who's uh, been a major disappointment? Well, I mean, there are a lot of people who just are consistently annoying from years past. Yeah. But that's not, I guess they're living up, up to expectations, so they're not dis <laughs> a disappointment. But uh, the one who surprised me, I'm not sure if you saw any of my discussion with uh, E. Michael Jones the other day. I didn't have a chance to look at <laughs> that. You brought out he, the best in him. He actually, like, he seems to have changed a little bit about race. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, he just doesn't think it's as important as he's still hammering away on that. He was a little more playful, if you can believe that. I mean, I did get one good shot because he, he, all he does is yell. And I just interrupted him. And I said, like, when, when you're at a restaurant, you go, hey, I want an omelet. It's because he just all he does is scream. But he seemed he seemed to have mellowed out on the, And he seems willing to entertain that. And he's on the same page as me. He says, you know, America was founded on cheap labor. 
And so he, he acknowledges economic realities. He's still crusty and irascible. And he tried to gaslight me and psychoanalyze me for why I abandoned the Catholic faith. He would not, under any circumstances, accept my explanation, which is that I read enough of the Bible that it just seems so internally inconsistent that it couldn't possibly be true. But it's, it's nice to be surprised. It reminds me of the time, uh, you know who Hank Johnson was or is, the uh, Georgia representative who thought that uh, Guam would capsize. Guam would capsize, yes. Right, exactly. if we sent too many. But I, I met him at this, uh, there was a protest at Stone Mountain about Confederate imagery there. And I, I, you know, I saw him, I was like a girl with Justin Bieber. I'm like, oh my God, it's Hank Johnson. I went up to him and he was cool as hell though. I said, what do you think about this? He's like, man, leave it alone. It's history. Like if, you know, if it was a government building, I'd have a, you know, I'd, I'd have an objection, but this is just, let them do what they want. Let them fly. Their, you know, it's always delightful for me to be surprised by people who you wouldn't expect to be cool. And yeah, EMJ, maybe he's working some long con, but uh, he was, it was a different EMJ that I, I spoke with the other day. When did that happen? Because like a couple of weeks ago, he was talking, he was referencing Noel Ignatiev to say yeah. why the Irish aren't white. He was, he, but he, he said, yeah, of course, but DNA is not the important thing. I don't know if like someone, uh, and like it was Ralph who was, uh, moderating. Ralph really didn't say anything. It was just me and EMJ going at each other, but he seems a little bit different in a, like, and like I said, like you don't expect E. Michael Jones to be playful and humorous, but he was, so that's like I said, like I'll take it where I can get it. Cause, uh, it, it hit me, uh, hit me upside the head. I didn't expect him to, to be that way. I'm just giggling a little bit about Hank Johnson because uh, it is true. That's one of my favorite videos. Squam is not about to capsize, but we have to give him credit because he's actually, uh, you know, he's not so bad. He's always been opposed to the Iraq war. Uh, and he also is a staunch critic of uh, Israeli occupation. And so, you know, we'll we'll give him credit where he's doing a good job. And, I, um, and he's... he's <laughs> Whether in it's probably not on purpose, but he's funny all the time. He called someone a yeah. midget once, and he apologized. <laughs> he said, "I apologize for using the M word." The M oh word. That's gosh. a good one. Yeah, I love it's it. Great. Oh, I have an economic comment, real quick, uh, for everybody. An update: We have surpassed the two hundred thousand dollar mark in our fundraiser. We are now at two hundred thousand sixty-one dollars. Fantastic. Uh, so Thank you, everybody who's donating. We've got a match going on right now. It started at ten grand yesterday morning, and then another donor swooped in and added another five grand on top of that uh, as our New Year's Eve fundraiser. So we've got until midnight tomorrow, New Year's Eve. So, and we're doing a great job. So, thank you, everybody who's supporting us. I just got another message too from our friend Jr., who's sending some cash in the mail. So, thank you, Jr. Uh, and I got a message from Rich Hauk to say hello to everybody. Sorry he couldn't make it to the stream today, but he says hi to all the listeners. Hey, Rich, and Happy New Year. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. We passed the 200K mark. I. I'm 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 excited. So uh, we're two thirds of the way to our goal, uh, and two day and a, a day and a half left. Well, you know, like I said, there are whales out there. There are whales out there who could disgorge a great deal of krill <laughs> in our in our <laughs> camp. So I, I would uh, I don't don't want to abuse that metaphor too much. But anyway, that that could be uh, that could be exciting. So yeah, don't. Don't ever give up. Don't lose faith. And I have four, uh, so four songs left to sing. 
Oh, yes. Jim has been a powerhouse. He's actually gotten some significant donations uh, for his uh, karaoke. Uh, I have to talent. do a five, five minute libretto from uh, the Barber of Seville still. Oh, yeah. It. Yeah. You're probably wondering why I'm here by the Mothers of Invention is coming up. And Oh, that's exciting. I was hoping somebody would ask you to do Zappa. So yeah. <laughs> that's excellent. Okay, so uh, Gaddius, uh, MVP and big disappointment of 2023. Okay, well, the MVP, uh, everyone's everyone's going with the same guy, but I'm going to... Uh, 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 I'm gonna modify it just a little bit. I'm gonna go with uh, Juice Gang on Twitter. It's it's sort of the same thing as Keith. It's uh, Keith and Joel and their army of, uh, you know, their their army of um, people that repost and um, you know they uh, they juice sig- things. Yeah, yeah, they signal. Is, juicing is basically signal boosting. Do this conduct steroid abuse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ra- yeah, steroid abuse, uh, ratio people, whatever. Uh, I think they've been the most valuable players of 2023. I saw it, I saw it starting in uh, late 2022 is when um, Joel came up with the concept and Keith, it, because back then Joel and Keith were still banned on, on Twitter, and, and they came up, they came back with uh, alt accounts, you know. And this was this was one of the big. Uh, this is one of like the big issues like people be like whoa there's no point getting an alt account you'll just get banned again and it's like well if you're gonna you know if you're gonna try to get your message out there you're gonna try to influence the conversation i'm sorry you just have to you have to create an alt account and that's what they did they stayed they stayed at it they stayed tenacious and came back and they they had an army of uh guys to signal boost them so i'd say those guys were the uh the most valuable players of 2023 because if it wasn't for them there wouldn't have been banned the adl there wouldn't have been uh all, all this other stuff uh there wouldn't have been joel constantly ratioing the prime minister of australia and uh you know there wouldn't have been keith taken off to the fucking moon like he did after he got his account back so juice gang is uh the most most valuable players of 2023 in my opinion that's excellent who's the biggest disappointment uh this is going to be a little bit uh controversial too it's not it's also not an individual i you know and i don't i, I don't want to sound like a sound bitter or whatever like you know i'm uh harumping and stomping my feet or whatever but i think it's it's kind of like the general uh the audience the public in, in and of themselves the by themselves they're it's sort of like they'd be become aloof this year uh uh, you know, I, I'm sure like inflation has a lot to do with, uh, you know, people guarding their pocketbooks a little more, but it's like across the board throughout the entire, the entire scene, there's been like a recession, the entire, and, and not just a, not just a financial recession, which is there like across the board. I mean, NJP folded, uh, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to get on, get on their case too much or whatever. I don't want to, you know, do that, but it's like, it, it was because there wasn't the, there wasn't, you know, enough support either financially or just interest wise. And it seems like a lot of this stuff, um, uh, 
has to do with like, like I said earlier about the Overton window, uh, our talking points are becoming mainstream. So if you've got, you got Charlie Kirk and you got Tucker out there talking about uh great replacement or JQ adjacent stuff, a lot of people are just going to be like, Oh, okay, well we're on the bus now. You know, we don't have to, uh, I, mean, uh, I, I guess, I guess we're all on the bus to the promised land. So I think like the audience is kind of drop the ball a little bit. I, I think it's, I, 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 you know, I don't, I don't want to get, I don't want to give them too much of a hard time, but it's like I said, it's across the entire board of the entire movement. Everybody, everybody, anybody you can think of, not just, uh, NJP, not just, uh, any other organization. It's across the board. I've seen interest just plummet. So, and, and I'm not saying like people have to like sit around and like, I don't, I don't know, like pay attention to every take or you know it, but it's like it's like come on guys we get we still got work to do we can't we can't be slacking off now you know especially it's like you, you see you see all this stuff that's happening with uh you know uh, talking points going mainstream it's like that's when you should double down so uh, my controversial take for biggest disappointment is uh i don't know just the the audience i suppose those are both really, really good takes. I, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate some original thinking here. Uh, let's wrap up. We got 20 minutes and I, I guess I want to ask, uh, well, let, let's uh, actually do a couple entropy questions here. Uh, Friedrich writes in with 150 US dollars. Thank you. Greetings, everyone. It is mainly for next year's paywall access and the remainder of modest contribution towards the matching grant. I have a question. Have you read Uprising by David Irving about the Hungarian Revolution? Best wishes in the new year to all of you. And thank you so much for all your hard work. Much love. Okay, well, um, I think that's maybe for David because he's been reading books about Hungary. I read Uprising more than 20 years ago. And I thought it was a really interesting book. Anybody else in the chat? Have you read uh, David Irving's, he's practically his only book that doesn't deal with the Third Reich, namely his uh, 56 Hungarian Revolution book? Uh, no, I actually have not read that book. I'm, I might check it out. I do, I've always had a strong interest in the 1956 uprising because it was part of my heritage because I am part Hungarian. And I did write an article earlier this year about a monument. It wasn't from 1956. It was from the Horthy era when they restored themselves after they were after the communists. But I do want to look into it. It's always been very exciting for me, something that does inspire me. Okay, that's cool. Kiwi has written in with 20 US dollars. Should we organize a boycott, uh, divest, sanction movement? Uh, I actually think that the the boycotts of things like Bud Light and Target indicate now that that is definitely a possibility. And the first poll that was brought out from the Homeland Institute uh, indicated that there's a lot of potential for that. David, do you want to briefly speak to that? And then we can do another sort of question for the whole panel. Yes. Yeah, so in regards to... Uh anti-BDS boycott, I don't think that's going to work. I think an anti-woke boycott could, because for our, our poll, we, we compared the percent who said that they'd be willing to boycott a business that's accused of being racist, and not just in the theory, they'd have to actually drive one extra mile or pay 10% more so it's real. It's not just virtue signaling on Instagram. And the same thing with a charge of being woke. And racism is still more powerful. And it was about a 10, every 10, it was about a 10 to 7 ratio. 
that's still very strong. And I think for the anti-BDS thing, we have to find something that is more... Maybe we could, because if we got left-wingers involved, it wouldn't just be right-wingers. So that's a no, good... No, I mean, the, the, the idea is that our, our yes. movement needs to be doing, you know, basically uh, boycott, divest, sanction our enemies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like at any chance you can, just don't give money to the system. Like, cancel Netflix. It's trash. And it's... Well, I think it's getting easier because there's less and less incentive because, like, movies are just objectively bad now. And I began, yeah. I, I actually began boycotting Hollywood by accident. I just, it just seemed like they were all stupid and I would rather play World of Warcraft, which Blizzard has gone woke, but thankfully also their quality went down before they went fully woke. So I ended up boycotting them too. It's, it's, it's funny how it's not just a political thing. The whole wokeness destroys everything. It destroys quality. And you had the same purple people, purple haired thoughts trying to run Blizzard now and soy boys and they don't know how to make a story and it's just an abomination but it's it's easy to boycott the system because the system people, is so uninteresting anymore yeah, yeah it's like what it's like this isn't even a a detriment after the shoulder it's actually a relief i don't have to endure their stupid movies uh, i'm in the exact same boat i mean like um i was talking to somebody else about this the other day it was um uh, you know it, it there's so much content out there from previous decades you know, pre-woke stuff, even in the 90s, you know, it's just, I never watched. I never watched Frasier. I never watched, you know, I, I've seen a bunch of some TV shows, but um, not all of them. And so it's actually really easy just to boycott modern stuff because you can just go back and watch it, the old stuff that you never got around to seeing. Um, yeah, yeah I, mean, I think the positives and negatives, the positives is that basically with the internet today, everything is is available uh, readily, so you can watch basically any movie, TV show that's ever been made uh, for free you, online, and that's that's a good thing because you get you got all this access to it, and you can avoid the the trash that they're making today. I think that I think that the pitfall of this though is that it kind of get, keeps us stuck in this cultural se- uh, stasis where nothing new is created. Now, the, the, it's, mainly it's because the stuff that is being created now is trash. But I do want to see some new things come out as well. I do want there to actually be good and new content because I don't want to just uh, you know live in the I don't want to live in the nostalgia world uh, for for all time. We do need something new too. Yeah. So, folks, uh, we are coming to the end of our time, and I would like to ask a question. And uh, the question is basically this. I know some of you don't believe in New Year's resolutions, but if you did, if you were making a New Year's resolution for 2024 for the cause, what are you going to do? What are you going to do for white people in 2024? That, that's the question I want you to, to um, ponder for a sec. And while you're pondering, I'm going to bring uh, James Carlson from White Papers on board. James, welcome. Thank you for having me. What a yeah, fantastic, welcome. fantastic way to spend the Saturday evening. Yeah, the the eve before New Year's Eve. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the question is, uh, what are you going to do for white people in 2024? Uh, something new, uh, basically. Uh, and uh, my answer to that 
I'll just to give you the rest of you some time to think about it. I'm going to answer very briefly. Uh, I always say this uh, when I when I do my uh, New Year's post at Countercurrents. We're going to do more of the same, but better. <laughs> we're going to double down. Uh, I think what we're doing is good, and we're going to double down on it. And we're going into a much tighter economic time. And so I'm going to be very, very parsimonious in 2024. Uh, I, I need to do more work because I can, I, can, I can afford to pay fewer people to work for me in 2024. And I'm going to, work, I'm going to really pay attention to the 80-20 rule in 2024. 80, the 80-20 rule is a, is a term uh, that was come up with by Vilfredo Pareto, uh, an Italian sociologist, uh, somewhat something of a fascist thinker. He noted that 80% of the problems are caused by 20% of the people, interestingly enough. Also, 80% of the good stuff in the world comes from 20%. 20% of the work you do, 20% of the people. And so if you want to maximize your impact in life, you've got to work on the 20% that produces the 80% rewards and spend less time working on the 80% that produces the 20% of rewards. 80% of work produces 20% of rewards. 20% of work produces 80%. I've, uh, I've just got to ruthlessly follow that in the new year because that is necessary given the straightened economic circumstances that we're going into. I'm going to be very parsimonious in 2024, but I'm going to work the stuff that has the most impact. And I'm going to hope that in the new atmosphere of 2024, things will flourish. And we do have one thing that's that's going for us in 2024, even though the economy sucks and the establishment's doubling down on all their bad policies and craziness. We do have an election coming up. That is going to be crazy, I'm sure. But in election years, more people come to websites like Countercurrents. We've noticed that in 2022. In 2020, we noticed that in 2016. Uh, we noticed that in 2012. It's just the way things are. And if we have more eyes on what we're doing, we're going to capture more minds. And so I'm looking forward to that opportunity. But yeah, the big thing is to is to pay attention to the 80-20 principle and, and make the work that we do in 2024 have the most impact possible. So I want to go next to David. David, briefly, what are you going to do in 2024? For the well, first, first, I'm going to probably get a speech therapist so I can speak a little bit more clear because that's part of my job. It's been my internal jihad since kindergarten. And I'm also going to try, it's not necessarily a new thing, but I'm going to try to do one poll a month, which it's like the same thing, but it'll be at a much higher tempo because this is a very important year. I've gotten the, the whole polling methodology down, the Excel work. So I think that's very doable and it will make a big big impact is hope you have the funds for it, which you, dear reader, can help us with. And these ah. are not New Year's resolutions because I will actually do them. This won't end in February. Right. This is going to be going on and we will be talking about it next year at this time. You can brag about it next year at this time. Cyan, what are you going to do in 2024? 
for the cause. Oh my gosh, uh, this is a hard one to decide on because when you asked that question, I thought about, uh, it's so easy to just like run off a list of things that I want to do and I'm excited about doing, but um, pick the one thing. Uh, I don't know if I can pick one thing. I The thing that I'm most excited about probably, uh, and it kind of ties into what you were saying earlier, is one of the things that we've been discussing in the Counterheads office is what gives us the most reach, right? Um, because over the last year, we've had, you know, we've seen incredible successes in general with the Overton window shifting to the right. Um, and our readership has grown. We had amazing traffic this summer. Um, and I really enjoyed the events that we've been doing over the last year and a half. I think those were fantastic ways to give back to the people who have given us the most. Um, the person who asked the last question, uh, you know, Friedrich, it was wonderful meeting you this last summer. That's probably the highlight of my year. Uh, and I know that that was really meaningful to a lot of the people who went, uh, another one of the attendees then went on another podcast to talk about um, how really being to Europe, that he was an American and being in Europe for the first time was so eye-opening to him and going through, you know, several different countries to get to the retreat location was, you know, just hit home to him. Uh, what kind of cultural and um, racial heritage we have and what we need to protect and what we've lost uh, in the U.S. You know, um, <laughs> the airports in the U.S. vary in quality and the, the kinds of people who are there, but he was going back to an airport that was just very, very disappointing here in the U.S. So, um, so you know, those, those things were wonderful, but one of the things that we've been uh, considering is, well, how do we get those are great ways to give back to the people who are already giving to us. And we are grateful for them and want to thank them. But how do we get um, more people involved who maybe haven't had that interaction yet? Uh, which, by the way, I'm going to go ahead and shill for the paywall. Uh, because if you are a paywall member right now, you are the first person to get notified of uh, any in-person activities that we do. So uh, please consider that it's only $10 a month. Uh, it's a very easy commitment and it gets you into uh, these kinds of interactions. But um, the we've had such broad reach online. And so I'm excited about the book club starting, uh, which in fact is happening uh, next week. So January 6th, uh, Jonathan Bowden's The Cultured Thug. We're going to be discussing that. And uh, this is a good way to just you know, get more interaction with you guys. You know, this is in politics, you, you know, you might want people to read 3000 word essays and a lot of people do, and those things are permanent things. But, um, you know, we've been asking folks lately and countercurrents behind the scenes has been working on this movement poll. We've been asking people how they come in to, uh, you know, to, to find countercurrents and these other websites, you know, VDARE, AMREN. And a lot of people will respond, well, it's videos or YouTube or audio content. And uh, so that's one of the things we've committed to doing next year is more uh, audio content and more online engagement uh, for people uh, in addition to just, you know, 
trying, giving people an excuse to get together uh, in person. One of the things we did in the Northwest Forum uh, before I moved was we would have monthly movie nights. And that's something anybody can organize. Uh, it doesn't have to be us, you know, right? <laughs> Greg uh, doesn't have to, uh, but I mean, it'd be great for him to fly out and, and lead a conference. And uh, that and that was a good time. But we can also celebrate uh, birthdays. You know, we did an Ezra Pound birthday party uh, in Seattle when I was there. Uh, over this last year, we did a, a birthday party for Charles Kraft. Um, so, so, it's pr- so uh, yeah, I'm going to say um, committed to more of this online engagement and encouraging people to take up the reins and, uh, and do it yourself and meet people who are in your area already. Wonderful. Endeavor, what is your 2024 uh, resolution for the clause? Um, well, I, I, like everyone else said, I it, it first and foremost, probably continue to do the things that I'm doing. Uh, I hope that th- I like to think that I'm making my own contribution to the movement in my own way and uh, hopefully continue with uh, the writing and video production. Uh, I would say that if what is something I'm going to do differently? Um, well, I, I, like you mentioned, the 2024 is a going to be an election year in the United States. And that means that politics in America is going to be turned up to 11. And by, uh, by extension, the politics everywhere are going to be crazy because, you know, everything, uh, the, the, the entire white world seems to follow America. Uh, and, you know, I think that there's going to be a bunch of, uh, there's, there are going to be a bunch of these crazy moments like we saw in 2020 and 2016. Uh, and I think what I'm, my new year's resolution would be not to get carried away by the theater, by, by the political theater, you know, with Do- Donald Trump making his return to the scene. Uh, I think that, I, I think that it's going to be easy for people to get kind of too swept up in the, in the moment. And, uh, just like just like what happened in 2020 and just like what happened in 2020 and 2016 I think that uh, just uh, rem- I, what I say is to myself I'm gonna just remind myself that you know we're, we're, this is a, uh, we're in this for the long haul uh, there isn't gonna be this one big uh, cataclysmic event and then everything is gonna change tomorrow no it's gonna be a, a long process and just and just keep your eye on that and not get too swept up in the political theater that's my New year's resolution. That's really good. Carl, what is your resolution for the cause for 2024? Um, This year, I actually want to try my hand at writing a script, Um, not necessarily for a movie, but maybe even just sort of an outline of like a possible series, like a mini series type thing. So that's one thing I want to do. I want to um, and I've actually got a friend that that wants to do that with me. And so it's going to be kind of a team effort. and I, I was thinking too, like, um, I, you know, I want to talk to local politicians that, that are in my area because um, my little town that I live in recently um, elected a black mayor for the first time. <laughs> and um, it's uh, not, not a great thing. <laughs> uh, so I, I want to get a little bit involved there, uh, maybe not directly in politics myself, but, um, you know, at least sort of influencing the the white people who are in in government um 
and I want to help out a friend who's starting his own business. He's he's uh, wanting to invest in real estate, so I'm, I'm going to try to get help him get the ball rolling on that. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, I one thing that I really want to do is I, I want to try to encourage people also in the movement to, you know, go ahead and, uh, you know, I think there's only like a week or two before, actually, I think it might actually be three weeks until the Bitcoin ETF starts trading in, in the U S and when that occurs, that will likely drive the price significantly higher. And so I want to encourage anybody listening to pick up some Bitcoin now, if you can, and go ahead and, um, send 10% of it to countercurrents. you know, think about oh. like tithing. <laughs> okay. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, Jim, what's your resolution? Well, instead of complaining all the time, one thing, I mean, I bemoan the fact that attention spans are getting shorter. People don't read, people can't analyze, uh, rhetoric at all uh i'm switching over from writing to some degree using my mellifluous voice and making movies of my writing uh, i started off on imovie which is basically adobe premiere for retarded people i've just discovered premiere i'm going to work on that and uh, move more into video and i think yeah definitely countercurrents needs to move more into audio and video uh, it's, i think some of the readers just don't like that they like this classicist approach but i think uh going to lose a lot of people if you don't move into audio and video. The other thing, I would encourage everyone not to watch the video of me speaking in Fort Worth because I was I had no sleep and it's completely incoherent. But I think the most valuable essay I wrote this year was how to divide white people. A, a promising sign is that X is now opened up again. I still can't call it X. It's Twitter. But um, I think a big problem for years was there was basically a Gaza wall between left and right. And that's why all the infighting happened, because these were the only people in our universe. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, as, as someone who is an outsider looking in on the fishbowl, I think I had some perspective. People have been they just never shut up about age, gender you know, left and right. I mean, I, if I can accomplish anything, it's like, look, everyone who's non-white has been trained to see you as white in a street fight and in riots. If, you know, if there are pill riots and food riots, they don't care what your politics are. They don't care what your religion is. They're going to see you as white. And if I could cement that into people's heads, then mission accomplished. Fantastic. Gaddius, you have a great voice. You've done some audio work for us. One thing we are going to do in the new year is we're going to imitate another website that has an AI plugin that will basically just generate red versions of all the things that go up. I think that that could be, uh, that could be good. And, and these programs are getting better and better. I, I don't even want to call it AI. That's, that's just a branding thing. It's just, we're getting better and better computing. We're getting better and better robots uh, to do our bidding right now. And uh, there are these plugins that you can get that will make, uh, you know, synthesized voices but they sound fairly pleasant and uh it's just a it's just a cheap and easy way to suddenly make everything on countercurrents uh available as an audio file if if that's the kind of thing that you want so gaddius what's your resolution for the new year you said you're going to shut down um your telegram channel so that's a resolution uh to be less uh addicted to the phone uh but what what positive things you're going to be doing in 2024. Well, I consider, I consider that a positive thing. Like, um, like Jim was talking about, there was, uh, 
you know, people have attention, uh, attention span of goldfish. Uh, I just noticed like, man, I can get into a time sink and just doom scroll and uh, either X, Twitter or uh, Telegram also, or trying to figure out something to post as a take or whatever. And uh, that, that is my, that is sort of my own personal resolution. And I do think it will be positive for uh, if, you know, if everybody like commits to doing something like that, like uh, stop, stop wasting so much time. Uh, it, it'll be better off because they'll be in a better, better state of mind. It's like um, that essay that Rich wrote back in October, how to escape the backlit room. It really resonated with me. And uh, Mark Gullick just wrote one a couple weeks ago too, about, you know, he didn't, he didn't have any internet for uh, I think it was like two or three weeks uh, because he's, he's moving house. He's relocating. And uh, he talked about the experience of it. So, that's that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna um, you know stop doom scrolling and shit posting so much. Uh, try to be a little more thoughtful. Try to uh, you know enga- try to engage and participate in in a more thoughtful way without having to uh, you know oh man I got to get a hot take out there or something. Uh, really, really, I'm just gonna go back into lurk mode and uh, support and you know participate the way I can. Like you were talking about uh, the the audio or whatever if if i get a chance to do that uh, i'll do that and then i'll just put it out there i'll send it to you or whatever um substack has great uh, like you were talking about they have the ai interface or whatever reading the audio sub substack's great too i'm going to participate there uh commenting or whatever i love endeavor substack by the way and uh yeah that's pretty much Thanks. that's that's pretty much all i'm gonna do i'm just going to uh try to stop, try to stop waste, wasting so much time doom scrolling and try to be a little more productive and uh, help out that way. Yeah, I think uh, the doom scrolling stuff falls into the 80% work, 20% reward category. But it's uh, something that you keep doing because it's sort of like the lottery. It's sort of like playing the lottery because you know, one thing that you put out there might completely go viral and, uh, and, and do a lot of work. Uh, so that's, uh, I think that's one of the things, things that sustains it. James, uh, what is your resolution for the cause in 2024? Oh goodness. What, (laughs) it's a loaded question. I do really quickly first want to say, uh, Jim, I absolutely loved your piece about what divides white people. One of the core philosophies about what what we do at White Papers, especially when Cyan and I make the podcast comment, is we don't get into the petty sort of like men do this, women do that. Oh my gosh, can you believe that the you know the leftists want a free healthcare in Vermont? You know, we don't really do that kind of thing. We focus on policies and politics that are best for all white people. So I loved that piece. Thank you, sir. And in keeping with that, I guess most of my New Year's resolutions, and they're shared with Cyan, is we have a lot of big plans for white papers. We're going to do our first policy conference. And I have friends through my networks who used to work at Cato and the Heritage Foundation and fundraise for policy institutes. So we're going to be bringing people like that. Cyan is going to host some workshops for people who are trying to get involved in local government and do some institutional capture. We are also going to get into the video business. I have just started making these. I think the, the I think there's the 
goofiest things, but I love making them the uh, infographics. We're going to translate that into video content of the same appearance. So there's quite a bit coming up that <laughs> it's going to require a lot of time investment. So that's uh, that's my list of New Year's activities. <laughs> well, that, that is really wonderful. Folks, uh, I don't want to go too much longer because we've been at this for a little more than two hours. So let's just go around the room and basically uh, just shout out how do people follow your work if people want to follow more of your work uh let's begin with david david how do they follow you yes the best way to follow me is on twitter i have an unusual last name it's david zutty spelled z-s-u-t-t-y also have a telegram account and my twitter account links to the home at institute as well and of course there's my the jewel of it all which is the homelandinstitute.org which is why the Institute. So those are the best way to fo- best ways to follow me. And you're frequently at writing at countercurrents as well. Yes, I am. It's very fun. Cyan? Yeah. Cyan, how do people follow your work? Oh, hello. Well, they can do so right here. Um, I write at countercurrents. That's something that I should have put in my new year's resolutions. I was really good about it for uh, about eight months there this year and then we just got so busy with the european summer conference and then the dallas conference in october and then the fundraiser hit and we've just been going 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 um so yep you can follow me here at countercurrents uh where i write and i also serve as program director and then uh james and i you mentioned that earlier uh, do a podcast weekly at White Papers. That's White Papers Institute at dot substack dot com, or uh, on the Telegram channel. It's the username is White Papers H U White Papers as a nod to Jared Taylor. Great endeavor. How about yourself? How do people follow your work? Substack, YouTube, Telegram, or Twitter. Uh, and occasionally, a few of my Substack essays are reposted to Countercurrents. So that's where you can find me. Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, Carl. Hey, yeah. Um, you could find me on Telegram, uh, t.me forward slash Bitcoin BBQ is my channel. Um, and I'll occasionally link to my Twitter account on there. Um, but yeah, uh, that's where I'm most active and that's where I occasionally post. I don't, I don't post too much, but yeah. Great. Jim. Uh, Twitter.com slash Jim Goads, the one-stop shopping. That's where I, and I basically use it for nothing but linking to everything else I do, articles I write, appearances I'm going to make. The big thing I'm going to work on in the uh, first half of next year is compiling my essays about black people into one big book called Negronomicon. <laughs> I love that title. I can hardly wait. Uh, <laughs> Gaddius, uh, you're shutting down the uh, building a third position. Uh, uh, but uh, how will people be able to follow your work? I uh, just find me on uh, in the comments section. Uh, on okay. Substat. Find me in the comments section at Countercurrents or uh, at Hardball's Hardball's comment section. Jim's uh-huh. show or uh, on Substack and Endeavor's comments or Morgoth's comments or uh, Keith Wood's comments, you know, those people. So, yeah, I'll be around or just come hang out on Twitter, you know. Yeah. But but uh, 
try not to stare at your phone all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Excellent. And James, so plug uh, plug white papers and how people yeah, follow you. Absolutely. Your... Uh, we are on tw- we're on Twitter at, at @whitepapersus. We have the Substack, which is whitepapersinstitute.substack.com. <laughs> and of course, we have white papers HU white papers on Telegram. We also have the website coming up very soon. Cyan and I have been putting a lot of work into that. We're very excited for it. So when uh, when that's finally done in the new year, we'll be putting that link out as well on all our social media. Excellent. That is excellent news. Everybody, thank you so much. Uh, I want to thank the audience out there, uh, all you wonderful people out there. And the donors, especially, that you've been very kind and very generous. Uh, and the people with their questions and comments, uh, it's been excellent. Uh, there have been a few uh, small donations that have come in. Um, I just want to acknowledge those. Spartan uh, has sent a diamond and says Elon Musk should be sued for lying about free speech. Maybe next time. Uh, has sent $3 through Odyssey. Thank you very much. And says Happy New Year. Uh, Northern Powers donated one bell. Uh, Slog has donated 14 bell. And uh, Northern Powers donated two ice cream. And tomorrow I'm going to cash in all these DLive tokens and apply them to our fundraiser goal as well. So somebody out there is going to be matching diamonds, lemons, and ice creams. We'll have to figure that out. We'll have to make that math work. Anyway, folks, uh, we'll see you next year. Uh, A week from today is the next uh, Countercurrents Radio live stream. It might be the book club, or I might postpone that a week just to give people more time to read The Cultured Thug. I need to speak to the potential guests just to see if if they could do it a week later. And then we're going to... um, really, really encourage people to order their copies of The Cultured Thug and actually be prepared. Uh, Because I would really like these book clubs to be an opportunity to um, have people who, you know, come and listen, who've had a chance to actually read the material and can ask questions about it and participate in a discussion. So uh, stay tuned for that. And uh, again, thank you so much. 2023 uh, has been a great year in many ways. Uh, It's been a financial uphill battle, absolutely. Uh, But many, many things about it have been extremely rewarding. And I'm really looking forward to 2024. I think it's going to be our best year yet. So uh, join us uh, in 2024. Uh, We will definitely be back with more episodes of Countercurrents Radio. Um, oh, um, we've just got another Odyssey donation, $3 from total Kermit domination, just coming in at the end. So nothing to add. Uh, and he wants to thank, especially, uh, Jim Goad. So thank you. Uh, we will be back next week. <laughs>